with you this morning. Would you open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8? And as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's kind of cool because Paul is going to, to take a look at things, discuss some things that maybe you think ought never be discussed, some things that maybe you think ought never be done. But Paul's going to do it, and he lays out for us the importance, why it's so important that he does take a look, that he does uh, bring up the, the issue that he's going to bring up. This morning, Paul's going to talk about giving. Now, everybody's depressed. Oh, I knew I was going to go to church, and they're going to start talking about money. Well, that's not entirely what we're going to do. And the great news is, offering's over. So, we're not going to do it again. It's done. But, we are going to discuss what God lays out for us in His Word that should be our motivation behind our giving. That should be the heart. And so, as we take a look, we're going to realize that Jesus, when He taught... He wasn't afraid. He didn't shy away from, from talking about giving or our attitude in giving. And so we want to take a look at that this morning. So as we take a look, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is how it begins. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So he's going to begin talking about giving by giving an example He's going to talk about an example. The churches of Macedonia, that's northern Greece. Specifically, he's talking about a particular church, the church of Philippi. Now, I had the opportunity uh, about a year or two ago to do a, uh, through the footsteps of Paul, tour through Greece. And we went to Philippi. One of the interesting things about Philippi, one of the marks of Philippi, Philippi was, was greatly persecuted. The church there was greatly persecuted for years the church existed underground. You know, they, they met in houses. They were very secretive because in Philippi, they had an arena. And in that arena, they found out you were a Christian. They'd place you in there and you would do battle against a gladiator. It was like, uh, you know, MMA before there was MMA. There was this big fight. Only uh, the Christian didn't know what he was doing and typically wasn't armed. And the gladiator would go in for the, for the spectators, for those who were watching. They would, he would uh, just hack up this believer. So the church was underground. But then something interesting happened in Philippi. They, they began to be accepting of Christianity. The persecution lightened a little bit. And as soon as it did, the church came above ground, built a church, stood out in front of, of everyone where everyone could see them. Now, as we are, are seeing our world today, sometimes public opinion will shift, right? Sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not okay. So as the church comes out and it's, and it's standing boldly for the Lord, public opinion shifted and they faced fierce persecution and they wouldn't go underground again. They stayed. They stayed above ground, they stayed in their... In their churches, they face the persecution that they face. And this is the church that Paul looks to as an example of giving. He says, listen, let me talk to you about the grace that was bestowed on Macedonia, on northern Greece, specifically dealing with Philippi. Let's talk about how God gave them the strength that they needed to face the persecution that they face. And in that persecution came this spirit of joy. If you ever have an opportunity to read the book of Philippians, do it. The epistle to the church of Philippi is all about finding joy in our struggles, in our circumstances, because 
they realized that the joy of the Lord was their strength. And folks, you realize that joy is a choice. We choose to trust God in the face of whatever's going on in our lives, whether we're struggling financially, we're struggling physically, we've got illnesses, we've got folks in our church that are battling with cancer, that are some overcoming cancer, others that are, are facing still an uphill climb. Yet, the Bible tells us that our joy comes from a choice that says, I trust God. I'll trust God doesn't take us out of our circumstance, but it gives us strength in our circumstances. So, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. Now, a theological definition of grace, maybe you've heard it before, it's unmerited favor of God. But I want to bring that definition down a little bit to something we can chew on, something that, that isn't this high and lofty ideal. Grace, when we look at the classic Greek we take a look at classic Greek, this is what it means. Outward, like beauty, loveliness, charm, or kindness, goodwill, or gratitude. And when we look at the Greek culture, the Greeks were always out as missionaries furthering the Greek culture. This idea. And as they furthered that Greek culture, they called that grace. Now when we take that and we apply it to the Lord, the grace of God is the passion of God to share all His goodness with you. With me. The passion of God to share His goodness with others. God wants to bestow upon us good things. He wants to give us His joy. He wants to make you fine and noble. He wants to conform you into the image of His Son. That we might be a new creation created in Christ Jesus. That we might be more than we ever were apart from that. He has a passion, the one to save us. So he gave. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. He had a passion to save the world. So what did he do? He gave. You look through the scriptures. God is in the business of giving. Not in the business of receiving. But as we take a look, this grace that was bestowed upon northern Macedonia, he goes on to give us further example in verse 2. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Listen, no more was their trial able to impede their joy than their poverty was able to impede their generosity, their willingness to give. And when we look at the scriptures, when we see what God has to say about giving, here's what he lays out for us. When God talks about giving, he says, he watches how they gave, not what they gave. Mark chapter 12, verse 44, it's a story maybe you know. Jesus was sitting across the temple and he was watching how the people gave their offerings. And the rich men would walk in and of course they would give great amounts of money, but they would always have the great amounts of money in a large sack or coins and they would drop it in what's called the trumpet. The trumpet was a big vase with a big open trumpet horn on the end and they would drop all the change in there and it would roll around in this thing make all this racket they'd sound the trumpet all a great gift was given and as jesus watches how they're doing this a widow comes through and she drops in two mites 
Two mites today is about a half a cent. What can you do with half a cent? Can you pay uh, the, the electric bill at the temple? Could they buy other sacrifices? Was it, was it this great, tremendous gift? But what did Jesus say? Truly this woman gave more than them all. Why? Because he watched how she gave. She gave from her need. Out of her poverty. Not because she had to. Not because someone was saying, thou shalt give. But because her heart was to do what God had done for her. For God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave. He gave. So in a response to the love of God, here this widow comes through with her two mites. But to the Lord, it was the greatest thing of all. I love the fact that that's the way God judges our giving. That it's not about how much you have or how much you give, but about how you give. The heart behind it. What was the heart behind the widow? She loved God. And in response, she gave everything she had. And Jesus said, and still today, 2,000 years later, we're talking about the widow who gave two mites. Her story lives on. Nobody remembers the rich man that was before her. But they remember the widow and what she gave. And here, Paul is pointing to the church of Philippi, who's going through persecution, who's facing hard times. But even though they're facing hard times, one, they don't allow that to rob them of their joy. They choose to trust the Lord, even though. And two, they don't allow their poverty to rob them from an attitude of giving. They still wanted to give. Why did they want to give? Because they loved the Lord. God loved me. He gave. I love God. I give. And that's what they were doing. They were giving from their poverty and in their affliction. And it didn't rob them of their joy. Verse 3, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Listen, it wasn't that Paul was requiring something from Philippi. It was a response. It was a response. Why is that important? What's the big deal? Why is there this big issue when we we talk about giving? There should be none. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is. Right? When I fell in love with Kathy and we decided to get married and I said to her, Babe, uh, um, let's get married. I'm going to go get you a ring. Now, I didn't have a lot of money. I was, not a, I was not a rich man. I was in the Marine Corps. And back in those days, the Marine Corps did not pay all that great. Last I heard, they still don't. However, I was in the Marine Corps and I wanted to get married. And so I went out. And, and we looked at rings, and I bought her the best ring I could give her. Why? Because I loved her. Now, I could have said, baby, I got right here in the refrigerator a, a can of Mountain Dew. And I'm just going to pop the top off of that. And instead of getting a ring, you just wear this. Just take this. Now, I don't think she'd have been okay with that. I don't think she would have been okay with that because that gift doesn't speak love does it it says i don't really care about you and when we talk about giving in the church it's not about what the church receives 
the attitude of our giving is that we're giving it to the Lord. The first check I write in a month, very first one, is my tithes and offerings. First thing I do, write it and give it. Not because I have to, because I love the Lord. I give it to Him. It's to Him that I give my offering, that I give my gift. And so He says, listen, I bear witness that according to their ability and beyond their ability, it wasn't about what they had. It wasn't figuring about, well, well, how much do I have to give? Everybody asks that question. How much do I have to give? You don't have to give nothing. And if your heart is, how much do I have to give? You're probably better off keeping it. What the scripture lays out for us is that we can give to the Lord. And when we give to the Lord, just like the ring for my wife, I show the Lord I love him more than these. Remember when Peter fell? Remember he denied the Lord three times. And, and when he was in the Lord's greatest time of need, Peter said, I don't know him. I don't know him. Swore that he didn't know the man. In John chapter 21, Peter gives up on, uh, on doing what the Lord had called for him. He figured his life was over. He denied the Lord, right? Doesn't the Bible say, if you deny me, I'll deny you? So Peter says, well, it's over for me. I'm going fishing. And the way that the Greek is, is put together, it means I'm leaving all this and I'm going to go fishing. That's who I'm going to be from now on. I'm a fisherman of fish again. But Jesus called them to be what? A fisher of men, right? So Jesus goes and he finds him. And then Peter comes to him and Jesus has fish ready for him and cooks it up for him. And as they're sitting around the fire, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? What was he pointing at? Was he pointing at the other disciples? Remember, Peter at one time said, I love you more than all the other disciples. But that was just words, right? His actions fell short. Have your actions ever fallen short of loving the Lord? Did he point at the fish, at the boats, at the nets, at their great catch? They had caught 158 fish. That was a good catch. Did he point at those and say, do you love me more than these? And Peter responds... Yes, Lord, you are my friend. You're my friend. He loved them more than those, but he realized his performance had fallen short. Sometimes my performance falls short too. I remember there was a time in my life, Kathy and I had a great job, had a brand new house, had a boat, had new cars, had all the American dream. We were running right along with the Joneses. We were right with them keeping up with whatever they were doing. And then the Lord called me, began to say to me, Jackie, what's the most important thing in your life? And it was all the stuff. And I remember the day, I remember saying, Lord, you know what? I don't want to be about all the stuff. I don't want the stuff to be the most important thing in my life. I I worked so hard to have the stuff, I was never home. My kids, from the time they were born till maybe they were five, never saw me. I was that guy who flew through, changed his clothes, and went back out again. That was all it was. And so I told the Lord I was going to follow him. And as I follow him and I made him my focus, everything in my world went upside down. You ever try to do the right thing and have everything just fall apart? I mean, I'm trying to do the right thing, and everything was falling apart. My whole world financially was crumbling. It was unbelievable. We had somebody steal about $20,000 from us, and, 
and we couldn't afford to, to lose that kind of money. And so we started to lose all these other things. All these other things were falling. And, and I'm looking as, as one by one, all these things that were my American dream were just falling by the wayside. And I remember driving down the road and I was crying out to the Lord. I said, Lord, man, I finally in my life, I want to make you the main thing. I want to make you my focus. I want you to be the most important thing in my life. And as soon as I do that, everything around me starts falling apart. God, what's going on? And it's one of those times when I could hear the still, small voice of the Lord. Distinctly. He spoke in my heart. He said, Jackie, do you love me more than these? And it never bothered me another minute. Because I love him more than the boat, and I loved him more than the cars, and I loved him more than the house. And the, the funny-looking men with the black suits came and took all that stuff. They took it all. Everything was gone. And all we were left with was, was each other, the kids, and the Lord. And I discovered something in that time. He is everything I need. Everything I need. And that's what the church of Philippi had discovered. They knew, even though all these things were going on in their life, God was everything that they needed. He is the becoming one. He becomes everything we need. That's what His name means. The becoming one. Now, as we take a look, He says in verse 4, the next thing they did, imploring us, with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Listen, Paul, when they were given the gift, Paul said, no, man, you guys need it. Don't give that to me. It's okay. And they said, no, what are you talking about? You take it. Paul realizing that even though they were giving out of their need, it was to their account, eternal weight of glory. So Paul took it. So Paul received their gift. He said, man, they wouldn't let me give it back. They said, no, you take it. This, God wants us to give this. Whatever it was. The Bible doesn't tell us what it was because what it was doesn't matter. What matters? How they gave it. What it was didn't matter. Just how they gave it. They implored. They insisted. They said, listen, they were excited about the opportunity. Now listen. When's the last time the offering plate went by and we got excited about the opportunity to give? Because that's the way the church of Philippi was. They were excited. Why? That they could follow in the example of what God had done for them. For God so loved the world that He gave. So when we love the Lord, we give. Does the amount matter? No. What matters? The heart. What's the heart? What's the heart behind the gift? What's the heart that you're laying out? Imploring us, they gave, that they might be in the fellowship of the ministering of the saints, that they might be one, that they might be united with the other churches in giving, in meeting needs. Isn't it exciting that, that you and I, we, we are a part, when we place anything in the offering basket, we're a part of saving babies that might be aborted. Isn't that exciting? Now, maybe you and I, we can't go out on the streets and make it happen, make it stop, but we can support 
those who provide that guidance and that counseling. And in our offering, we're able to do that. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. You know, when you give in the offering that you become a part of supporting a work in Malawi, Africa, supporting a work when different ones, members of our church, go and serve and minister in different orphanages, you're fulfilling God's word. You become a part, a fellowship, the fellowship of the churches bound together doing what God's calling us to do. And that's what the church of Philippi was excited about. Hey, we get to be one. We get to be a part. We get to do some of these things. But listen, remember, it's not what you give. It's how you give. How you give. They were happy, excited. Later on in chapter 9, we'll read that we're to give hilariously. That's how excited we are to give to the Lord. I'm going to tell you the truth. If when an offering comes by, you're bummed, you're, you think it's, you're being ripped off, or don't give because you're, 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 you're robbing yourself a blessing. It's not about how much. It's about with what heart. And that's what Paul's laying out. That's what Paul's guiding us in. Not only did they give as we had hoped... But they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's the first step in giving. If we're going to give, we have to give ourselves to the Lord. What's that mean? They had entrusted the Lord for their eternal salvation. That means they put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And so, like that story, maybe you've heard before, of a young man was saved at a, at a revival in Africa. And they were passing around the, the plate during the, the revival. And as they're passing around the plate, he didn't have anything. And he tells the guy, the usher who's bringing the plate, set that down on the floor. He sets it down on the floor and he steps inside and says, this is all I have to give. That's what the church at Philippi gave first. They gave themselves. First they gave themselves. If we haven't done that, if we haven't given ourselves to the Lord, if we haven't entrusted ourselves into His hand, no wonder we're not able to give and and understand the love of God and our response to Him. Because we haven't come to the first step. We haven't come to that first place where we entrust ourselves to his hands. We put ourselves in his hands and say, Lord, I trust you. No matter what, no matter when, no matter how, I trust you. Put our faith and trust in him. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. And then, the scripture says, then to us, by the will of God, they were obedient. They chose to be obedient they were obedient to the word they were obedient to the will of god god's word lays out for us in malachi chapter 3 will a man rob god but you have robbed me and the man answers lord how have we robbed you and and the lord said in your tithes and offerings the tithe is the lord's the bible says in psalm chapter 50 that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills that the lord will never tell us when he's hungry because he doesn't ever need anything So why does God teach about the tithe? Because Jesus told us, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Apparently my treasure was in a 2005 Harley-Davidson soft tail. And the Lord decided to hit it with a three-quarter ton van and take care of my desire. You know, after it hit the van, I really didn't want it that much anymore. It was all wadded up. 
We want to have that attitude that says, Lord, I, I want to give you what's yours. I want to give you, I don't want to hold on to this world and the stuff in this world so tight that I lose everything. You know how they catch spider monkeys, right? They take a cage, they chain that, that cage down to the ground. Inside the cage, they put all these pretty little marbles. Pretty little marbles. And in the cage is a hole. Now the hole is small, but the monkey can put his hand through like this. He stick his hand through that cage and he grabs a hold of them marbles. And then the hunter comes with his club. Well, the monkey can't get away. Because he's holding on to the marbles in the cage. The cage is chained to the ground. And the monkey's pulling and running and trying to get away. But he won't let go of the marbles. And the hunter comes and bashes him on the head. Spider monkey soup. Sometimes we're like the spider monkey. What are we holding on to so tight that we think is going to be the end all beat all? Because at one time or another in my life I had it and it wasn't all that great. When stuff rules over us, it's never good. But when we recognize the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everything here belongs to Him. I'm just giving God His part back. I'm just giving God His part. Why do I give it to Him? Because I love Him. Because He gave me the example first. When I was still a sinner... Christ died for the ungodly. He gave to me before I could ever give to him. In response, I have an opportunity to give, and I want to follow him in obedience. So we urge Titus in verse 6 that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. He uses the word grace for giving, the gift. He calls the gift grace, that we give this grace. This gift of grace, that's what giving is. Unmerited, unearned favor. To have a passion to share everything that God has given to you. That's giving. That's grace. That's the attitude that the Lord wants us to have. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. He says, listen, you have faith, and you have knowledge, and you have understanding, and you have love, right next to all of that should be giving. Graciousness. Giving unto the Lord. That's what he's laying out. Right next to all these other things that you have. Now we consider all those things great things. We want to have faith. We want to have love. We want to have all those other things. We should not neglect the other either. Why? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if I say, my treasure is the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done for me. My heart will be with him. And the Lord says, you'll know that when you can give with a joyful heart. When you're happy to have the opportunity to give. And so he goes on. He says, now I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Paul says, listen, I'm not commanding you. Because you can't command someone to give. 
If you put your hand out to give somebody something, but inside your heart you're saying, you're not giving. That's not giving. That's not how we are to give, right? Isn't that what the Lord said? How to give. How to give. We give with that heart that says, I have an opportunity to bless the Lord. I have an opportunity to love Him because of how He's loved me. So in that opportunity, I'm going to give. I want the Lord to see I love Him. So I want Him to see a joyful heart in the gift. I want to follow His example. You know, Jesus wasn't sitting in heaven and, and playing rock, paper, scissors with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He wasn't up there playing rock, paper, scissors, and he lost. And so the father said, all right, dude, you're going to the cross. That's not how it worked. The Bible says, from the foundation of the world, Jesus chose. Before man was ever created, he made a decision to die for man so that man could have a relationship with God. He knew man would fail. He knew man would choose. And he created him anyway. Knowing that it would take the cross, that he would have to go to the cross. And he chose the cross in love for us. What does the Bible say? He endured the cross, despising the shame, for the joy set before him. When Jesus gave himself for you, he was glad to do it. And we're to follow his example. We're to follow his example. But sometimes we're like the spider monkey, huh? Got my hand in the cage and I'm holding on to them shiny little marbles. Don't get to take none of those marbles with me. All those marbles stay behind. But I have an opportunity with those marbles here on earth to show God that I love Him. By my attitude in giving. By my attitude to give. It's such a blessing to watch the heart of this body, of this fellowship, whenever given an opportunity of facing those things. Several times in several ways there have been people within the church who needed help. Needed help with doctor bills. Needed help with, with different, a variety of things. And the church rose up, came around them, and supported them. But you and I, all we see is our, our willingness to do it. What does God see? How was the heart? If the heart is the matter, the heart is the key, the heart is what matters the most. What's our heart in that giving? Is it the same attitude that Christ had for us? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. Jesus set aside it all. He gave it all. What else could He give? The Bible says... How will God withhold anything from us since He has already freely given us the most precious thing that He possessed? His Son. He gave the most precious thing He had for the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross, happy to give so that we might live. So that we might experience abundant life. Listen, sometimes we look around at our, our circumstances and we say, how can we call this abundant life? Man, my life is spiraling out of control. Losing everything. Everything's upside down. Nothing makes sense. It's all sideways. I don't understand what this abundant life is all about. Folks, the abundant life is all about the choice to say, I trust you, Lord. Because 
The things that we suffer here are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in each and every one of us. This life, this world is the cage of marbles. That life in heaven is a reality. And one day, this cage of marbles is going to be taken away. And we're not going to wish we had any of those marbles back. We'll be standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We'll see the beauty and the majesty of heaven. And everything you ever lost, everything that was ever taken from you, everything that was ever messed up or broken or twisted will be restored. All of it. You will not lose anything here that is not going to be given back in heaven. Nothing. But sometimes we're holding on to that marble. We think this marble is it. If I lose this marble, I'm going to lose everything. But you're not. Let the marble go. Let the marble go. It's easy. Let the marble go. Trust Jesus with your whole heart. Follow His example. If you love God, let go. If you love God, don't hold on to all that stuff so tight. If you love God, don't hold on to anything so tight. There's a guy I know, he came and spoke at a youth conference in California. His name is Britt Merrick. Britt Merrick has a a pretty cool church. His church in California, the, the side doors open up on the sand. Literally from his parking lot to surfing, you could be there in like 30 seconds or less. It depends on how fast you are. When you get to the edge of the parking lot, you're touching sand. Little ways down the sand, you got beach. He's got all these things going on, all these cool things happening. And his little girl has cancer. You think any of that stuff matters? You think any of the cool things that he has, the cars, any of that, you think any of that matters? You think any of that makes any difference to him at all? He's watching his, his little girl. She's young. And they, they thought she was in remission and it's back. Well, that breaks your heart, don't it? It breaks your heart. What does Brit say? Brit says, no matter what happens, no matter the Lord takes my little girl, that will not be my place forever. I will not forever be absent from her. Because God will give back everything that you lost in Christ. God will give back everything you lost in Christ. Jesus said it. That little girl, should the Lord take her home, Brit is not to hold on to her so tight that it wrecks everything in his life because he's holding on to this marble. And that's not the reality. The reality is... That she will be with Jesus Christ and he will be with her forever. Forever. He may live out his life on this earth for the next 30 years without her. That is nothing compared to forever. But we hold on to that marble. We hold on to that marble as though if we keep that marble, it's going to make us happy. But God so loved the world... He gave. And He gave the real 
so that we all might be able to experience God's perfect plan of happiness and abundance in life with Him. But it's only found with Him when we let go of the marbles. It's only found with Him when we're not trying to hold on to something else. That's the attitude of giving. It's not just about giving your money. It's not just about giving your time. It's about giving the Lord all those things that are so hard to give. I would love to control my children's life forever. Because then I figure I could live vicariously through them and they'll make no mistakes. And everything will be perfect. Do you know that the time comes for you to give your children to the Lord? Which is where they belonged in the first place. Listen, you guys all remember Abraham, right? Abraham had two sons. The first one was the son of the flesh, right? Through Hagar, he gave birth to Ishmael. Ishmael becomes the Arab nations, and they're still fighting with Isaac today. Isaac was the son of promise. But listen, the time came, listen, the time came for Abraham to give up his son. Oh, not Isaac. Ishmael. The Lord said, Abraham, I want you to send your son away. I need you to send him away. He needs to go, and you need to focus on Isaac. But the Lord said, Abraham, when you send your son away, give him to me. I'll take care of him. Do you believe the Word of God? Do you believe that God loves your children more than you do? Do you believe that God loves your family more than you can? Do you believe that God loves your wife or your husband more than you do? Because He does. And so the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, give your son to me and make make no provision for him. Do you know how Abraham sent Ishmael out? In the middle of the desert with one bag of water. Because God so loved him that he gave. Abraham so loved God, he gave his son, Ishmael, to the Lord. And Ishmael and his mom went out into the middle of the desert, and in no time that bag of water was gone. And they're getting dizzy, and they don't have what they need. And, and so... Hagar takes Ishmael and she lays him down and says, I don't want to watch him die. And she goes off behind a bush. And when she does, she thinks it's all over. You ever felt like that? It's all over. Everything's falling apart. Nothing's going to work out. And then right then, Ishmael laying in the dirt. The Bible says that the Lord came to Ishmael. He said, Ishmael, I promise your daddy, I'll take care of you. Now God knows more how to do that, doesn't he? God knows more. What would Abraham have done if he wanted to take care of Ishmael? Folks, Abraham's rich. He could give Ishmael camel after camel after camel covered with water. He could have given him flocks. He could have given him gold. He could have given him everything. And Abraham loved Ishmael. Don't make any mistake. He loved his son. But he trusted God. God so loved the world, he gave. Abraham so loved God... That he gave. Both his sons. Everybody talks about the other one. And they forget about Ishmael. 
But he gave Ishmael too. And God took care of Ishmael. God raised Ishmael up. God showed him a well. God provided him with water. God made of Ishmael a great nation, fulfilling a promise that he gave to Abraham. God took care of Ishmael better than Abraham could have. God will take care of you better than you can take care of yourself. God will take care of your children better than you can take care of them. God will take care of everything better. He can do it all better. All we need to do, all we have to do is trust Him. The question for us this morning is whether or not we'll take our hand out of the cage. Whether or not we'll let go of the marble. Whether or not, or are we just going to hold on and wait for the enemy, the devil, to come with his club? Anybody ever been clubbed by the devil before? It's a drag. You don't have to be clubbed by the devil. Let go of the marbles. Hold on to the marbles, here comes the devil. Let go of the marbles, and we're good to go. Listen, I've shared with you before. The father loved his daughter tremendously. So much he'd give her anything she asked for. And one day as they're walking through the store, as they're coming through the store, his daughter says, oh, dad, I want that necklace, that candy necklace. And so he grabs that candy necklace and he gives it to her. And she puts it on. She doesn't need it. And she wears it for day after day after day. And the father would come to tuck her in at night and say, baby, do you love me? And his daughter would say, dad, you know I love you. Well, will you give me that candy necklace? I'm just turning your neck green. Something's growing on it. She said, oh, Dad, I love you so much. I'll give you my favorite little My Little Pony. You can have My Little Pony, and you can comb his main daddy, and, and I really like this pony. And her father said, oh, that's all right, baby. I love you. And he tucked her in. The next day, he come in again. Oh, baby, I love you so much. Hey, would you give me that, that candy pearl necklace? Would you give me that candy necklace? It's really getting funky around your neck. You smell. I don't want my child to be the kid who smells at school. Would you give it to me? Oh, Dad, I love you so much. Listen, you can have my Barbie. This is my best Barbie, the best Barbie I have. I'm going to give you this best Barbie. Well, that's all right, baby. I love you. And he put her to sleep. Next day he comes in, and there she is on her bed, crying, big crocodile tears. He runs in and says, Honey, what's the matter? What's the matter? She can't even speak. All she can do is hold out her hand. See, she finally let go of the marble. She gave her daddy that, that candy necklace, that funky, smelly, rotten candy necklace that was around her neck all that time. And her daddy took that necklace away and he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a real pearl necklace and he put it on his daughter and said, I wanted to give you what was real, but I can't give you what's real as long as you're holding on so tight to what doesn't really matter. We've got to let go. We've got to allow God to do a work in our life. You've got to let go. This morning we have an opportunity to, to partake in communion. And the way that communion works, we're going we're gonna to pass it around. And as we pass it around, everyone is invited to, to par- participate in the Lord's Supper. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, we want you to, to take communion with us. 
We're going to hold on to the implements. We're going to hold on to the bread. We'll hold on to the cup. We're going to sing a song of worship. And then we're going to, we're going to come back and, and pray and remember, remember that God so loved the world that He gave. And we will have an opportunity when we leave here this morning to walk out the doors and say, Here I am, Lord. Let go of my marbles. Let go of the things I think are so important. Let go of the people I love and and I think that I know best for them and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. That you're going to meet me here. That you're going to give me the strength I need. That you're going to keep your word. For He is stronger than you imagine. He is stronger. The power of sin is broken. And He has saved me. He's stronger. It is written, Christ is risen. So Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Will you allow Him to be Lord of all you have? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we give you thanks. We give you praise, Lord. We just lay before you this opportunity. And Father, we just want to enter before you in an attitude of worship. We want to come before you in an attitude that says, Lord, I truly want to think about what you've done for me. I truly want to realize that you are stronger, that you want an attitude in my heart. And it's not about the what and the who, but God, you don't want me to hold on to anything so tight. Because whatever I treasure, that becomes the place where my heart is. And that becomes a God, an idol, a thing in my life, if that thing that I treasure is not you. So Lord, we have an opportunity. As we come before you, Father, as we minister in music, as the worship team comes up and we begin to prepare, Father, we ask God that, that even as the implements here are passed out as communion is given forth that we would truly pause stop think remember that God gave first and we need like Philippi to be excited at the prospect of giving our all to him so lord we we lay this time before you and ask your blessing In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.